This is Carl Palachuk, and you're listening to the SMB Community Podcast, produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. This is Carl Palachuk, and I'm joined today by my friend and co-coach, I guess, James Kernan. Welcome, sir. Hey, good afternoon, Carl. Great to be here. Well, thanks for coming back. Uh, you always have really good material, so I just want to make sure that uh, you know we get it out there to as many people as possible. So James is the author of the 36-month millionaire program mm-hmm. uh, and has recently published some books, including Leadership Essentials for Successful Executives and uh, Business Tips. So uh, Welcome, sir. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? So how did you, how did you get where you are? Yeah, thank you. So I've, I've been in the industry for over 25 years. It seems like the first, first half of my career was really um, as a executive or business owner. You know, I bought, sold, owner ran seven different solution providers kind of growing up in the industry, if you will. And, uh, and then after I sold my last business, Uh, really became a business coach and consultant uh, focused on um, really growing the business and working with the CEO business owner to take their business, uh, you know, from A to B. And almost in every situation, Carl, they, you know, I always ask goals and we go through a business plan together. And always one of the goals is really to build equity in the business so one day they sell it. And that's really what I wanted to talk about uh, today. I have a lot of experience with that. I've been through over two dozen mergers and acquisition transactions uh, as a coach and uh, wanted to share some of the wisdom uh, that I found uh, if I could. Sure. So um, I guess it's interesting. I I do have a lot of questions. We probably don't even have time for all of them, but we're in this like M&A frenzy. Right. Do you think this can continue? (laughs) Well, uh, I would I would say yes, and uh, you know it, it kind of felt like uh, you know we've been both been doing this for a while, and it kind of feel like it, it used to kind of come in phases, right? When you know one generation's ready to move out, the next one coming in, and I guess when I when I say generation, almost more generation of technologies, um, but uh, I just see more consolidation in the marketplace. And what's interesting is, uh, you know, I'm really not that old even though I've been in the industry for a long time. And my experience with mergers and acquisitions were always truthfully a growth strategy. So as I kind of get into the second half of my career, I'm helping a lot of people really exit the business um, instead of just having it as a growth strategy. Uh, it's more of a succession plan now. Right. But yeah. To answer your question, I think absolutely we're going to see more of it. Okay. So um, you, you mentioned equity. Can you first define equity for people? Yeah. So normally, uh, you know, I came from a finance background and, you know, normally the, it's the, the difference between you add up all your assets, you subtract all your liabilities, and the difference is really the equity or the, the worth of your business. And I want to walk through eight key things that I've learned that will help you build equity in your business now instead of waiting until it's too late. And when you make the decision that you want to sell the business, I hear this all the time and everybody's like, okay, well, how much is my business worth? And then you tell them um, and then they're disappointed. 
And it's like, well, you know, we should have been working on this a year ago or two years ago. And that's, that's what I want to share some of this wisdom with you that I've learned and um, myself and, and kind of acquired these eight best practices. All righty. So what's number one? Well, number one is uh, it's really starting with the business plan. And uh, it's always funny, Carl, I, I speak a lot. As you know, we, we kind of seem to be on the same uh, speaking tour sometimes. And uh, I always make people raise their hand. I say, how many of you out there have a business plan? And it always seems like maybe a quarter of the audience, you know, raises their hand. And, and then how many of you have updated it in the last 12 months? And then most of the hands go down and <laughs> I, I get it. I remember how busy I was as a, a busy CEO. The business is growing. You got lots of employees, you know, pulling at your coattails. And uh, so when, when I started my consulting practice, I came up with this one page business plan. So the one page business plan literally could take you 15 minutes to kind of put together a quick strategic plan and some goals. Uh, but when I talk about a business plan itself, this is really looking at a, a, an extension of that, uh, really from a, a three-year standpoint, if, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, big picture, you know, where's the business going to go in, in three years? And right. as a part of that plan, it's also your, you know, what you want to be famous for, you know, what's your focus service, um, and that should be part of the plan that, uh, that you work on. So that's really step one. You think these people really don't have a business plan, or they just haven't written it down you know i mean you, you have some idea like i'm selling stuff i'm selling services i'm sure whatever sure yeah that's that's a great point everybody has in their head what they want to do uh, it's just getting it on a piece of paper and again that's why i have a lot of these little exercises that will help you get things out of your head on a piece of paper because what's written down then can be tracked and we can hold uh, one another accountable right and then we can execute it and get the rest of your team on on board. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's a good point. I, I'm pretty sure most people have what they want to do in their head, but I just want to get it in writing and, and move forward with it. You think they, they don't have a written plan because they think it has to be 35 pages and approved by the bank? And <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember vividly early at my, uh, in my career, and I was sitting in the audience as, um, uh, you know, the senior sales executive, a VP of sales, and some consultant like us gets up on the stage and they're in their three-piece suit and they're talking. And I remember just laughing. It's like, I don't have time to do all the things that this guy thinks that we all have time to do. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it makes a lot more sense as I've grown up and matured in the industry about structure and process uh, and strategic planning. You know, I'm not so gung-ho as I was maybe in my early sales career. And I understand the importance of it. So there's a balance, but uh, there is something to be said. You, you do need to take time. This is one of the first things people ask in valuing your business is, hey, do you have a written business plan? I need to see what that is uh, to see how you've been executing on it. So if somebody's selling their business, ideally, they, it was something they're working off of already, right? But in many cases, it's something that we can cr quickly create if you don't have one. So don't sweat this one too much. Right. Okay. Next. So the, the next one, number two, is, is really the focus on agreements. You know, we're, we're really, our, our industry is so subscription driven now. And the more MRR, you know, contractual monthly recurring revenue agreements that you have in writing, it makes your business worth so much more money. 
the accelerators on that type of service as compared to block time or as compared to projects um, or compared to hosting, you know, if, if you're just do it month to month, uh, everything that you do service wise, ideally you want to package and price it in a monthly subscription model if possible and get it into long-term agreements. So the first part of this really is the customer agreements. That's super important. The longer, the better. Uh, vendor agreements, you know, anything exclusive or unique. And again, these are, these are things, Carl, that people are going to start laughing at that everybody's so busy, you don't keep track of it very well. But like your, your vendor agreements, like with HP or Microsoft and so forth, uh, distributor agreements, any partnering agreements. And then lastly, a really important one is your employee agreements. And there are many customers that I've consulted with that do not have employee agreements. It's like, no, my, uh, you know, my word is, is like yeah. solid as oak. Right. You know, and, um, and I've seen people get burned even after somebody buys the business or before they sell it, people they thought were lifers run out the back door and take their customers and devalue their business very quickly. So employee agreements, as you know, are super important. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, having a codicil in my client facing agreements that says you can't steal my employees because uh, if you do that, you, you're really using me as an employment agency. And so here's the cost of that, right? Cause if it, you know, you can't stop them from doing it, but you can say, look, you signed a deal that says you owe me three months of their salary. Right. Whatever. Yep. So. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. A lot of people don't have that in there and you know, Early in my career as a CEO, I did not have that in my agreement either until I got burned by it. And then I added that back in. Um, and in true story, there was a situation where I bought a business and the business I bought, uh, I purchased, um, you know, I basically had agreements with all their employees and also the in their statement of services or their statement of work with all of their clients there was a provision in there that said one and a half times the employee's salary. If wow. so, yeah, not three months, it was one and a half times their salary. And this was a level four guy, you know, hundred thousand dollar person. So I had a $150,000 conversation uh, with the person and it, it was a really simple conversation because everything was all in writing and, uh, and agreed upon. So that's, that's worth a lot of money and, and will add, add value in your business if that makes sense. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that piece of it, that basically here's, here's, you know, not necessarily proof that the employees won't go away, but at least that you're, you're, they won't take clients with them. <laughs> yes. Right. So very cool. All right. Number three. So number three is everybody offers a, a variety of services or mo most people do. And what my encouragement would be, let's just say you have five different service offerings that you do pick one, pick your favorite one that you want to be awesome at. What do you want to be famous for? And maybe it's cybersecurity, maybe it's compliance or HIPAA consulting. You pick one of those core services and really, really develop uh, core competency there. Um, your goal really should be, you want to be better than anybody else in your geography with that one core service. And if you're, and if you're well positioned and you do a good job of that, you typically can negotiate higher prices because you've got a, a better value proposition than the jack of all trades that maybe you once were or that you're competing with. Okay. 
So that's, that's really important. You want to identify one core service that you want to be fantastic at. Uh, and I'm not saying get away, you know, uh, shoo away or discontinue those other services. But to me, the other services really need to be complementary that help feed business into that core service that you're really good at. Right. So it's sort of, that's what you lead with. So you, you lead with security or you lead with uh, whatever the competency happens to be. Exactly. And that's really important. Another perfect example of, you know, that's something that you want to make sure that you've got your subscription services, you know, a strong agreement with, and that you have long-term contractual agreements with your customers. Uh, and again, if, if you're one of the best of the best in the area, getting those long-term agreements are a lot easier. Right. It's interesting. I, I think in our industry, too many people hear again and again and again from the stage, you should have a unique selling proposition. And they're like, well, I sell the same thing as everybody else. <laughs> right. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. How, how unique can I be in selling the same thing as everybody else? <laughs> right. Alrighty. Next. So number four is what I'll just call assets. Okay. So one, one of the typical things, normally when you sit down and you're valuing a business or you're uh, taking a look at either buying or selling, uh, a common thing is give me three years financial statements. I wanna see the, the profit loss statement for three years, the balance sheet, you know, open AR, open AP, and um, uh, accounts payable, accounts receivable, just so you get a snapshot of, of what's going on. They wanna see a positive trend of things growing all right. So if you're growing year after year and improving, that's a positive thing. Uh, but when, when I talk about financial statements in, in this section that I'll call assets, uh, the first thing I'll talk about is really uh, capital assets. So a lot of small MSPs don't have inventory or they don't have um, capital assets on their balance sheet. Uh, this, in this exercise to build value in your business or build equity, you, you might want to rethink your strategy, talk with your CPA. A lot of people just write off, you know, small purchases. Uh, but when you add them all up, you know, there's a book value of all of the equipment in your office that, and, and in the field deployed, that might be a valuable asset. So that's something that goes on your balance sheet. Uh, that's a hard number. And that's certainly something you should pay attention to. Other more intangible assets, Carl, would be things like your client list. You know, how big is your marketing list? That was one of the things that when I was involved in transactions, I wanted to see the client list. Uh, you know, how many contractual clients did they have? How long they've been in business? How long have these clients been clients, right? right. And then how big is that marketing list? You know, is it 50 people? Is it 5,000 people? You know, do they have a sophisticated marketing engine? And is that something I think I could, they've warmed up enough for me to gain more business from. Um, so so you know, when I have bought <laughs> companies and I haven't bought that many, but uh, I actually, I haven't personally found value in any of their hardware. I mean, it's like, yeah. okay, how quickly can I get rid of this? Cause it's usually, you know, I mean, right. even if something's three or four years old, it has a, no value to me. Right. And, and that's a great point. There's uh, a, most of the time when people do have capital assets listed on their balance sheet, it's worthless. You know, there, there was a transaction when I, um, this is the first time I bought my own company. Uh, so I bought a little company called Networks Plus out of San Diego, California. 
And one of the more valuable things that went into my valuation was the capital assets that they had. Um, you know, they had some internal equipment that I needed and the software tools that they had in place uh, were basically a, a PSA, uh, accounting and quoting, but it was all custom integrated. So, you know, you enter the data once in the one software, one database and the, and the information all traveled across. That was pretty valuable to me because I knew how much money it would cost for me to develop something like that. Right. Um, but you bring up a good point and it's something that you, if, if you're buying the business, you know, you reserve the right to just say, this is worth money to me, or this isn't worth money. If I'm an auto auto task shop and they've got ConnectWise licensing, well, that doesn't really mean anything to me. Uh, but if it fits into your business, then that's worth something. And my whole point to bringing it up to build value for you guys is track that stuff and make sure you've got a good list of all your capital assets, uh, your internal equipment, if, if you have anything. Uh, and then the softer things like certifications. Um, and then I was like looking for anything that's unique in the business, like the business example I said that Networks Plus, you know, they had custom written software to make their accounting package, their quoting package and their PSA all talk to each other. Uh, so to me, that was that added value uh, right yeah. out of the get go. And the last part of, of the assets, I'll call kind of more on the soft assets are the people. Uh, so that's one of the key things, you know, can you, can you see, are these good quality people that will fit into your culture if you're buying it? Uh, or if you're selling your business, you want to always hire the best possible people you can. So uh, that, that's kind of a, a soft asset, but it's worth something uh, to people will help increase the value of your business. Right. Okay. Number five. Okay. Number five is, um, you know, this is tough to say, but it's clean and accurate accounting, all right? And this is a big challenge for a lot of people. Nothing turns off a buyer faster than when we ask for three years of financials and it's like, well, you know, hold on, let me get them over. I've got to update this and that. And, and, uh, and then you see the chart of accounts is a mess. Um, and there's, there's big red flags like undeposited funds, uh, AR over 90, there's a, a ton of it. There's things like that that just tell me that people are not keeping their books updated and current. Plus, there's a lot of personal stuff that's in with the business. and Right. Because, you know, I've, I've got a friend that is a uh, business broker. And he said, invariably, the first thing he's got to do is separate out all the stuff where, I'm sorry, your gasoline shouldn't have been there in the first place, but it's definitely right. not going to be uh, in there when we try to sell the thing. Right. And, and, and the funny thing is uh, you just need to be able to identify that. It's if, you, if you're trying to hide it, let, let's face facts. Most people, most business owners are business owners and they use their, their, um, they use their business like a personal piggy bank, you know, uh, especially if it's, a, if it's a single owner. If there's multiple partners involved, typically they keep the books a little bit current because right. – and they keep their personal expenses out, or at least they keep it fair. Um, but uh, a lot of people run personal expenses through their, you know, legally, you're not supposed to do that. It has to all be legitimate business related expenses, uh, you know, compensation, bonuses, uh, any expenses, you know, automobiles, um, home office fees, things like that. You know, if those are legitimate business expenses, just be able to identify those because what makes your business, they'll, they'll actually take that 
out of your EBITDA number and add that back in because you, you, if you sell your business, you no longer are doing that. Uh, so that's actually a number, believe it or not, that is calculated back in to increase the value of your business. Huh. All right. Very cool. All right. Number six. So, so number five was keeping a clean books. Number six is what I call creating your business Bible. And it's another thing, like if I'm on stage, people would want to throw tomatoes at me again, because this is, you know, boring accounting and documenting your processes, <laughs> right? And, and sometimes this is really hard, but there's two parts of creating your business Bible. Number one, document all your key processes that you can in every department. It's one of the, the big values of when people buy into like a franchise, you get the big three ring binder, your McDonald's operation Bible, and you know, you're buying into a franchise, it's $150,000. And a lot of the real value is everything in that three ring binder. So just like if you think of it, many of you guys are super technical, Think of this like all the network documentation on a network that you're supporting. You want to have all the business documentation on the business that you own, right? Or that you're selling or that you're exactly. buying. So you need to have as much documented as possible. And, and another uh, key point on that is if you don't have the time and most business owners don't, just delegate that to key team members or, or department heads to just one by one, maybe each week or each month, each quarter, just start documenting the key processes. Your department heads are gonna know it a lot better than you do. Uh, so start delegating the work, have them all put it on the same template and just start it that way. And then the last part I'll, I'll say, automate as much as humanly possible, okay? You can still document your automated processes, but what goes into this as well and helps make that business worth more money is when you, when you automate as much as, as you possibly can, just like the redundant keystrokes with the example I gave just a moment ago of that little company in San Diego, they'd, they'd written software in between my uh, you know, PSA, my quoting package and the accounting package. So I didn't have to have three people enter the same data in three different departments. I entered it once in sales and marketing and then it flowed through the system uh, you know, eliminating redundant keystrokes. So automation and there's is, is a huge. lot of people who don't use the automated processes they've already paid for, you know, like I'm amazed how many people don't put their uh, contracts into their PSA. Right. I just had a conversation with somebody that they're celebrating their 10th anniversary and they hand do every invoice. And I'm like, yeah. what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, next. So next, number seven is what I call a diverse customer base. Um, you should have no one customer that makes up more than 15% of your overall revenue. Okay. Um, we're, we've all been guilty of this before. And I, I'm not saying say no to a big opportunity. Uh, when, when I bought that little uh, reseller, Carl, one of the first big contracts I won, um, it, was, it was about a year and a half after I bought the business and really turned things around. Uh, we won a big contract and the end of that calendar year, it represented 50% of my total revenue and it represented about 65% of my total profit. Wow. Okay, so 
you know, things like that are red flags to buyers. And it, it um, you don't want to have all your beans in one basket. So what I had worked really hard on before I sold that business was I wanted to take the, the profits I was making off of that one client, that one contract, and put it into business development to diversify my customer portfolio. I wanted to, to gain lots of other revenue from other net new clients. And, and I did that. Um, you know, it helped make the business worth more money. Uh, but just as a rule of thumb, try to keep that as a uh, industry best practice. No one client makes up more than 15% of your revenue. Uh, and, and, if, and if you can do that, again, it makes your business worth more money because you've got that customer, that diverse customer. What percentage of uh, people that you run into out there have one client that's more than 15%? I'd, I'd say the majority, you know, probably a good 70, 75% have, wow. uh, you know, and, and it's normally the smaller MSPs, you know, they all start with one big client and then they build from there. Um, the, the bigger, more sophisticated, you know, managed service providers or value added resellers, they've had more time and they diversify their customer uh, portfolio. But uh, the overwhelming majority of the smaller ones are, are guilty of having, uh, you know, one or two big clients that make up half or more of the revenue. I did not realize that. So that's, it's actually uh, like, it's a little stunning to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I run uh, into that a lot. Yeah. Cause I mean, even if you only have 10 clients, uh, it would be hard to have one of them be 20% of your revenue, but. Right. Right. Uh, but, but you shouldn't turn down those clients. You shouldn't walk away. You should just go get a whole bunch of other clients. Exactly. Exactly. You, you know, obviously you know how to get uh, clients, just put more uh, emphasis into diversifying, uh, getting net new clients. And one of the other things too, that uh, I've seen people do, if they might be very heavy in the government sector. Well, government sales are very cyclical, meaning or seasonal where there's a lot of uh, most of the revenues really come in for the government in Q3 because the government fiscal year end is the end of September. Um, so a lot of corporations typically have different buying patterns. Education is in June. So the education, like if it's, uh, um, you know, the sled market, for example, or, or education specific, uh, that's more of a Q2. Uh, so one of the big companies that I worked with years ago uh, as VP of sales, I on purpose diversified our customer portfolio. So we weren't really suffering from seasonal sales. Uh, you know, we had a lot of corporate clients. We had a lot of education clients, a lot of medical clients, a lot of government clients, because uh, I wanted to kind of keep that steady growth. Um, and while I was VP of sales there, we, we grew over 30% every year. Uh, and that was one of the secrets uh, that we did, you know, to diversify that portfolio. Right. And, um, Finance as well. Anybody who does taxes and accounting, they've got a very seasonal business because you can't touch those systems during tax season. <laughs> so, right, right. They barely let you do monthly maintenance. So, uh, but you certainly can't put in any new systems or anything like that till January or till uh, uh, April. Uh, okay, finally, number eight. So number eight, I hinted at this a little bit already, but uh, it's your people. So, you know, we're in the services business and people do business with people. So you, you want to put an emphasis in hiring the very best possible people that you can. Uh, typically that mirror the values, uh, core values um, 
of and principles of, of the, the owners. Uh, you want to have a good positive culture, uh, you know, good incentive plans in place, good education uh, and training opportunities for people. Uh, I do a lot of culture building in the practice because, uh, you know, I'm, the, the overall objective is really grow the business, gain more equity. And one of the ways to do that is keep your existing people really happy and attract really good people as well. And so there's a lot of things like uh, disc profiling, strength finders, uh, bonding events, culture building activities uh, that, uh, that are important. And some of that might not sound real exciting, uh, but again, it's, uh, it's an important piece to the puzzle that helps build the value of your business and it's having good quality people. Yeah, I've met few people who openly say that they don't believe in culture building, but they're out there. Um, I think it's much more common that people at least give lip service to it, um, but they don't necessarily do anything about it. Yeah. But, I, you know, that's one of the things is uh, uh, I'm a firm believer that if you build the right team, they will follow you anywhere. Right. And, you know, I, I used to joke that, you know, with my uh, first IT company, we had such a great team that if I came in one day and said, you know what, we're going to quit doing all this computer stuff and we're going to go into uh, the upholstery business. Everybody would be like, yeah, upholstery. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you make it fun, Carl. And that's one of the <laughs> things I've always admired about you. And, and you're very calm and collective, uh, very strategic. But, uh, you know, you, you bring up a good point. You know, you've got to get everybody in the boat rowing at the same time getting everybody on board. And you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the importance of culture and, um, and gamification, you know, keeping score and, and making it fun for your employee, making it rewarding. So, right. So we actually, I'll see if I can find a link to it. We recorded a podcast about gamification a while back. So I'll put that in the show notes for this. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Cool. All righty. Well, shockingly, we're basically out of time. Any, any final words for us? Uh, no, I, I will just say, um, you know, there's no better time than the present. So if you want to, if you want to build equity in your business, start thinking about implementing these eight ideas that I shared with you. And if you've got any um, additional thoughts or need help, uh, feel free to reach out to my website, kerningconsulting.com, or give me a call anytime. I'd love to talk with you and help you out. Uh, it's 888-827-COACH. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Very cool. Well, I'll put all your links into the, the show notes as well so folks can get a hold of you. Uh, Kernan Consulting with a K, but only, yes. only Kernan has a K, not consulting. Very good. That's it's correct. Like a Soviet sort of thing, right? <laughs> all righty. Thank you, sir. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And tune in. Make sure that you, you know, check us out on on. Uh, iTunes and Stitcher and all that happy stuff. And uh, we will see you next time on the SNB Community Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SNB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.